welcome everyone to a new episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussions. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me here is my friend, Kales. How you doing? Hello, hello. I'm doing good. How about you? Very good. Very good. Actually, that's a lie. I'm not very good. I'm okay. I just got my booster shot today, so my arm's a little sore. I got a, I got a booster and a flu shot in the same arm. And I'm coming off of a weekend in which my son had a cold and had me feeling pretty gross. So I'm expecting tomorrow to be the day that I sit and lay on the couch and watch screeners all day. We'll see how that goes. But there could be a worse way to spend a sick day, I suppose. It's kind of a blessing this time of year. I'll be all right. Well, here on FF Plus, our format is very straightforward. We'll talk about what we liked and what we didn't like about each movie. And we will transition and we will give you a recommendation about whether we think a movie is worth your time and money. It's that simple, short, and spoiler-free. We will kick it off right away and get started by talking about Don't Look Up. This film stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Rob Morgan, Jonah Hill, Mark Rylance, Tyler Perry, Ron Perlman, Timothy Chalamet, Ariana Grande, Scott Mascuti, Kate Blanchett, and Meryl Streep. It is directed and written by Adam McKay. What's it about? Two low-level astronomers must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. All right, so quick background on my history with Adam McKay, just to kind of level set on where I'm coming from. Not a fan of Adam McKay's comedy stuff prior to the big short. Anchorman, Step Brothers... The other guys, that stuff that he kind of came up doing, I find them to be tolerable at best, but it's just not a genre that I tend to enjoy at a high level. The Big Short came along, blew me out of the water, absolutely love the style of that film, and the fact that he took a very heavy topic, such as the housing crisis, and was able to make it entertaining in a way that I learned something while he was roasting it through his satire. It was just a perfectly crafted kind of lightning in a bottle moment. Since then, he's tried to replicate that formula. He he tried with Vice, the Dick Cheney movie. Didn't work for me at all. And now here we are. And I can tell you, Don't Look Up is basically following that same formula. He's trying to replicate the same idea. This movie's not subtle. He's not subtle, ever, period. And and I want to say that right up top. If you don't like Adam McKay's bluntness in his satire, don't go see his movie. Like, it's that, it, you either, you either, you either can get on his vibe and his level, or you can't. And if you're not, you're, you're wasting your time. Cause that's what you're gonna, you're gonna get hit over the head constantly with the message in this movie. Every single joke, every single 60 seconds, you're getting smashed, and it's it's getting broken into you over and over and over. I actually enjoyed that quite a bit in this movie because of the performances. The script is often hilarious. It's really poking fun at things that are extremely relevant, whether that's the climate crisis, and you want to see this as a movie that is trying to make its point about not being a climate denier, or you could see it as also maybe making a point about not being a science denier in general when it comes to COVID. Meryl Streep in this movie, she is essentially a riff on a President Trump, Jonah Hill, her son, basically a riff on President Trump's kids. It, it goes like that throughout. Some of the performances I, I really, really enjoyed. Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry play this pair of morning hosts, and they're just, they're so egotistical they're so fierce like Kate Blanchett in particular is fierce and sexy and I am just in love with this woman she is incredible to watch do anything much like after we saw her in Nightmare Alley Coles, which I guess we'll talk about next week but she's this kind of a similar type of character not the noir style but she's got that power to her and you could see her character making sense in this world where it's really all about their image and their popularity. They don't really care about reality. And that's what this movie shows us is we have Jennifer Lawrence and Leo DiCaprio 
who are trying to prove a point that this comet's coming and it's going to destroy the Earth Armageddon style and everybody's like out for their own good. It's a matter of the government and these tech billionaires and all of these people who don't want the public to worry about it because they want to make money off of it or they want to profit politically off of it. And so I liked a lot about it. There's a cameo, I would say. It's not really a cameo. It's a bit part by Timothy Chalamet. He doesn't show up until really late in the film, and he's only in it for a handful of minutes. But there is a moment towards the end where he provides, I think, part of what is Adam McKay's maybe most poignant, sincere, and beautifully hopeless scene that he has ever put in a movie. It was like the one time I've ever kind of felt something in an Adam McKay movie. And Chalamet is great. He shows me a, an actor in this movie that is in line with what I would say Coles is like a Leo DiCaprio himself or maybe a Ryan Gosling. These are the greats who can do Oscar worthy drama, but have this comedic range to them that they don't usually tap into. But when they go there, they nail it. And that's where Chalamet and DiCaprio both go in this movie. Lawrence is very good as well, but she's pretty much just raging throughout that. I missed her so much. We were just talking about her on Facebook, so you know that. Uh, but I'm so glad that she's back. And I was excited to see her. And I think that she does well here. But she's not the star of the show as far as performances go. The dislike side... Look, all, for all the stuff I liked, it is a almost two and a half hour movie, and it goes on way too long. It drags us out way too far. The CGI, the glossy flashiness of it, it looks fine, but they don't really do anything interesting with the comet spectacle. I mean, there's one or two interesting scenes, I guess, of like things landing, you know, on it or whatever, like NASA ships taking off. But that's not the movie that this is. Jonah Hill drives me nuts. He's like nails on a chalkboard in this movie. He's supposed to be. So I guess he's giving a good performance, but it's a very Jonah Hill performance. It's him just being a jerk and kind of childish in a role of an adult that he's supposed to be, you know, more mature, but he's not. And it just drove me absolutely nuts. Mark Rylance is another character in this. He plays like a, an Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos type of character. And he has this massive stutter. He basically is recounting his character from Ready Player One. So if you've seen that and you know like his mannerisms of how he kind of talks as James Halliday, he's that guy again. And it didn't work for me. It was really grating over the period of this film. So it's just bloated and it's just so dadgum heavy. It just tells you over and over and over this is what it is. And so you get to the point where I think you either go into this movie already being someone who believes in climate change and believes in science. And so it gets old because he's just repeating himself so much. Or you go into this movie and you don't believe those things and you're just offended by it for two and a half hours. So it's kind of it's in the middle and I don't see how it's not good enough to overwhelmingly be enjoyable, even if you agree with the content, in my opinion. So um, it's a mixed bag for me. I think it's better than Vice, for sure. It was watchable and enjoyable throughout. There's enough good jokes spaced that I, I didn't ever feel myself really disliking it fully, other than moments here and there. But it's not something I feel like I ever need to watch again. And it's nothing I feel is in any way special. So I would say, you know, if you're an Adam McKay fan and you generally have liked everything that he comes out with, you should go see it in a theater. It looks good. It's nice. It's got a good soundtrack. If not, it's coming to Netflix. You, you can do no wrong by just throwing it on and checking it out. And I would recommend that everybody do that because if you don't like it, you can turn it off. It's that simple. But it's worth trying, in my opinion. Uh, it will be limited in theaters on December the 10th, and it will be streaming on Netflix on December 24th. Next up, we have a film that, Colesse, you and I have both been looking forward to since we saw it announced because it is about college football and 
really in line with the current modern issue of name, image, and likeness and how players are affected by their lack of ability to kind of control their own image or get paid as college athletes. It stars Stephen James, J.K. Simmons, Alexander Ludwig, Lil Ray Howry, Tim Blake Nelson, Andrew Bachelor, Jeffrey Donovan, David Kochner, Kristen Chenoweth, Timothy Oliphant, and Uzo Aduba. It is directed by Rick Roman Waugh, and it is written by Adam Mervis, and it is based on Mervis's stage play of the same name. What's it about? A star collegiate quarterback ignites a player strike hours before the biggest game of the year in order to fight for fair compensation, equality, and respect for the athletes who put their bodies and health on the line for their school. All right, man, outside of not having the best screening experience last night at your press event, uh, was there anything that kind of made up for that bad experience that you really liked about this movie? Acting performances make up for a lot of what I consider is mostly a lost cause film. You have Stephen James. He's playing this highly touted, supposed to be the number one pick in NFL draft quarterback. And he has his coach, J.K. Simmons. And they're on the eve of the national championship. And then you have all these um, supporting characters that kind of add in to the fabric of the film. Everybody does a great job with their role. Um, Stephen James, he comes across as very sincere and very serious about taking a stand against the organization that is college football. You have J.K. Simmons. He's a head coach. It would have been easy just for J.K. to play this guy as just a straight villain. But this is a guy who has been coaching for a long time. And you can see that he does care about his players and that he does care about Stephen James' character himself and that there are some dichotomies that over time during the film, he kind of has to fight against. And then we have Uzo, who at first, you know, she seems to be almost like a villain, a villainous character, a person who has no heart. But there is a scene later on in the film where she pretty much just blows that out of the water and she shows you that there's more to her character than just being this almost fixer, you know, who is working on behalf of the NCAA. Then you have a guy like Jeffrey Donovan, who's in a small role, but he plays almost this like chameleon kind of um, corporate guy who is all about being a part of the bottom line, being like, hey, I, all, all people care about is trying to watch football. And he doesn't really care about the, the whole politics about players getting paid and whatnot, because it's not just a simple issue. As far as just, hey, let's pay all these student athletes. There's a lot of things that you have to consider. There's things such as or sports such as softball, soccer, you know, in different states. And they talk about how there's $3.8 billion that are given for scholarships for players to come and play football. But what happens when you take most of that money and you're giving it to all these football players? What happens to these other sports sports programs that are in smaller schools that don't have that are not part of the Big 12 or SEC or a Big 10 and whatnot. And then you also have the aspect of having real NFL players and real athletes that came in to do these guest spots. I mean, you have Malcolm Jenkins. You have Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks' own. I don't know if he's going to be there next year, but that's a different topic for a different day. Then you have Carl Anthony Towns, and you have these media personalities, like people who work for ESPN or Fox um or for other like sports networks that really add to the whole media aspect of this um story and also it's great it's a great topic to discuss and to have in a film we've seen over the years that the momentum is building for student athletes to finally be acknowledged and paid as they're supposed to be we hear stories about guys who are giving their blood sweat and tears to a program hear about the boosters you hear about these stadiums getting built you hear about these jerseys and all this um memorabilia being sold but these players most of them they can't afford to feed themselves they can't afford to um put gas in their car they can't afford to really just survive they're almost grasping to survive and then you got to deal with people on the outside who don't understand that they look at oh well this person has a scholarship or they're able to go to school for free. They're able to have all this press and publicity. And they're able to have a chance to go to the NFL. And many people think like, hey, that's a great opportunity. Why are you complaining about this? But the other end of the spectrum, you have to understand that for most of these guys, going to the NFL is not a given. It's not a promise. 
there are scenes in the film where Stephen James, his character, will go and talk to other players and he tells them, like, hey, think about it. Look at all of us in this room. Only about maybe three or two of us are going to be in the NFL. The rest of us, we got to go out. We're going to be pretty much given our diploma, shipped off into the real world, and we have to figure out what to do. So, I mean, this movie, its heart is in the right place. And also, A.K. Simmons gives a speech in this film, and I'm going to, it's almost like titled Glory, but pretty much in the same annals as like Al Pacino's Inches speech for any given Sunday or any other great sports movie speech. He delivers it, man. Like I'm right there sitting in my seat and I literally could like, I could not take my eyes off him. I literally was just sitting there and I was like, my God, like I'm feeling it, man. Like I almost was, I was emotionally touching. I was like ready to run out there and play for him myself. And so J.K. Simmons, all the other actors there, they are incredible in this film. The subject matter is great, but there are a bunch of problems with this film. And we'll get into that when we get to the dislikes. Well, I'm glad that you liked a lot about it. And I will just chime in and, you know, co-sign that right off the top about J.K. Simmons as a character and that excellent speech. I think he makes a great stereotypical rough edged but highly motivational college or any sport really coach football coach who is probably very good at his job and it is probably at the cost of his family life in many ways which is a plot point that we see in this film play out as well he's a great casting in fact i didn't really notice that he was in this for some reason i was starstruck by stephen james being the headliner when the movie came out because I really, really loved Stephen James in, oh gosh, Barry Jenkins movie. Help me out. Bill Street, right? Bill Stephen Street James. Talk. That's what he was in, right? Because, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's where he came from. Um, if Bill, Bill Street could talk, where he's just phenomenal. And so I was like, man, I want to see him doing something else like this. And didn't notice J.K. Simmons was in it. And so when he showed up as the coach, I immediately started texting my friends going, Oh my gosh, J.K. Simmons is the coach in this. Like, how perfect of a casting is this? And you get that great speech that you were talking about that makes you just want to run through the wall. So that is also because it's based on a stage play. And the nature of a stage play having these big moments happens several times in the film. So Stephen James, I found to be absolutely fantastic in this role as well. He's a stud. Like, his acting ability is so fantastic. And so if you compare the raw, like tenderness and emotion that he has throughout, if Beale Street could talk to the performance here, where he's playing this guy that's supposed to be this huge, tough guy. And he's like the top of the sport. And yet what he's using his voice for, it's a different note that he has to hit. And I think he nails it. He gives a speech as well. At one point that had me ready to run through a wall And I I couldn't imagine turning him down. So what he's asking for, I think, is a really important and awesome part of this movie. I went into it thinking it was just going to be about players getting paid. Name, image, and likeness, which is what we've seen actually change in the last couple of months. It finally happened. But this movie takes that a step further, and it's brilliant. To me, this is what makes the movie or the story in, in general just awesome. He is asking for free disability health care and medical insurance and money for all players. He wants it not just for himself, like you said, not just for himself or the, the you know ones who are going to go on to the NFL. He wants it for all players of all sports. And that is an incredible, incredible justice ask because he cares about the fact that his friend, Emmett Sunday, his best friend in the, the movie, his tight end, He's not going to go anywhere. And what's he going to have to show for this? So many players, they get hurt and they have nothing when they get done with their careers. So is it too much to ask to have some sort of medical insurance for these players? It shouldn't be. Why should it be on their dime that they have to take care of themselves when they lost all earnings potential, potentially damaged for life? You never know. I thought that every single character in this movie, main character, was very layered. As the film progresses, we get to see each character reveal more about themselves that was very surprising to me. 
So you see each of them start off in certain ways, and then you start to learn about their backgrounds. You start to see them make decisions. People who seem real suave and you know down for the cause suddenly get real nasty when it's their food that's going to be taken away. And you see a lot of that selfishness come out. You see a lot of that big money performance where it's people who don't want to lose their millions of dollars. There's a line in this movie that was absolutely so powerful where this one exec, someone asks him, they're like, do you even, where does even your $30 million go? What do you do with it? And he was like, I don't know. It doesn't matter, but I don't want to lose it. Like that's what his attitude was. And that's indicative of reality. I love the biblical tie-in and the way that, that Stephen James's character, well, Marcus James, is actually trying to inspire his fellow players. But I love that that friendship relationship between him and his friend Emmett Sunday. I felt like it had a really realistic edge to it. You mentioned the media. It's kind of like Free Guy, but I think it was, you know, it's not, you, know, you get the cameos of like Twitch streamers and stuff in the gaming space during Free Guy. And you get, like you said, Russell Wilson and, and other players, you know, players are talking about LeBron texting them or DMing them on social media. Like that's a real thing that would happen in this situation and that would inspire people or make them, you know, get excited. They did name drop somebody from Little Rock. I thought that was cool. This team is from Missouri, this fictional team. And so they were like at one point, hey, coach, you got a stud quarterback down in Little Rock that you need to check out. And I was like, yeah, let's go, Arkansas. Um, yeah, I, I will end by saying this. I thought the movie was excellent. It is one of my favorites of the year. The reason is because, and it's not because I don't have any problems with it. I guarantee you, when you get to these dislikes, I'm going to have to agree with several of them. But for me, I went into it thinking we were going to get another Any Given Sunday or I'm trying to think like a Friday Night Lights. This is the big thing we need to sell people. Movie has zero football in it. None. Zero. None. Zip. There's not a football field. There's not a football play in this movie. Okay. That's not what this movie is. And that makes sense now when you realize like, oh yeah, it's based on a stage play. They couldn't have football in the stage play. It's about the lead up to that event. It's not about the game itself. The game is the setting. This feels like a Steven Soderbergh movie to me. It is slick. It is glossy. It's dramatic. It's tense. It's character driven work and drama. And I was just hooked into it completely the reason it won't it's not going to elevate itself into like the stratosphere for me because there are some issues with characters in this movie and i don't think it does anything like special mind-boggling special but man is it super solid across the board and i think that the director rick roman wall i almost messed that up because it's it like doesn't roll off the tongue great but he previously did uh, the latest entry in the angel has fallen series and then uh, the Angel series. And then he also did Greenland a couple years ago. I, I think he has a masterpiece in him, Coles. I really do. I think he's going to come out at some point. And he has a, so much talent that it's coming. Like this isn't, he's not there yet. This one's not it. But he has shown me enough over his filmography so far that I really do think that he is going to put out something that blows us away before too long. With that being said, you said you had some issues. Let's go ahead and talk about those. Times when Stephen James is talking, you can understand what he's trying to get across his point as far as you know, the how, the whole dynamics of a student athlete and how they fit into the NCAA and how it's almost an exploitative relationship in a sense. But many times when he's giving these moments of monologues, it feels like it, it's almost like there's no difference if he was just had a suit on and he was riding a church preaching to the preaching to a pulpit preaching to people like it is this movie is very on the nose with what it wants to talk about as far as the student athletes and the ncaa like there is no subtlety it's like it's like we talked about with don't look up with adam mckay it is right in your face and if you're a person who does like you know a little bit of subtext a little bit of like the less in your face approach to storytelling then this film is not for you like it is right in your face with what it aims to talk about, 
what it aims to come across when it is dealing with these discussions about athletics and about the NCAA is not subtle. It's very obvious. Uh, there are moments where the movie does get a little bit soap opery times. Like there are a whole lot of twists and turns that hey, it's, it surprises me. So it does its job, but towards the second half of the film, it feels like every sequence is of like, Oh, did you see what happened with this one? And, oh my goodness. Did you see what, what came out of the hat with this? And it, it, it becomes almost like a young and the restless episode where it's like, Hey, Tune in next week to find out what happens with this. It's like, it, it becomes a game of like, how can we twist the knob a little bit more tighter? And how can we make things a little bit more exciting? But it comes to the expense of some of these characters. Chenowitz's character, she is J.K. Simmons, the coach's wife. But what she's given to do in this film, I mean, she's pretty much she's almost treated as a honeypot. And, and then she just is like gone away by the end of the second half and she's just treated as just this like almost Karen kind of person. But she has no dynamics to what she does. And at the end of this film, the film kind of ends with just as is. There is no resolution in a sense and there isn't nothing that really changes altogether. But I guess maybe the message of the film is that, hey, maybe thing, maybe it's going to take time for something like this to become different. Maybe this might be a wake-up call for the NCAA to see something like this and understand, hey, maybe we might need to um, get some uh, some guys together and talk about this and maybe find a new way we can empower the student-athlete. Maybe we could find a way to where we could take these billions of dollars and actually give it towards the students who are actually putting in the work, you know, and bringing people to the, to the stadiums and everything and bringing in all these national TV ratings. Outside of the acting... In the subject matter, this film is mostly a lost cause. There are times where the score, when Stephen James is talking and he's giving you like some purposeful words, the score will just come blaring in, and it's it's very annoying. It, uh, it's it's like right there in the background, but it's kind of hindering you, like really getting into the meat of the message. And like you said, there is no football in this movie, but the the scenes where they're showing J.K. Simmons on the sidelines, it's not there. It's like they're not even trying to even, like, put this into a whole football film. Like, he's standing there on the sidelines, and there's clearly a green screen behind him, and there'll be three or four players that are looking in, like, different directions on the sideline. And it's, like, totally not even realistic. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, these dislikes are not enough for me to, like, dissuade anyone from watching this film, but for me, it feels kind of basic. And it doesn't do anything really stupendous to put itself over the top of any other sports film that you're going to see. Yeah, some of that I think is fair. Uh, some of it I definitely disagree with. Like, I didn't mind the score at all, personally. I It, it amped me up. It got me in the moment. Maybe it was because I didn't, you know, I was watching it at home versus you watching it in a theater. So maybe the sound mix is different and it wasn't as loud or something. But it didn't bug me. I agree with the green ske- screen and the J.K. Simmons on the sideline. It's brief, and so it doesn't really bug me that much. But you're right, it's obvious that it's not real. And I'm glad that they didn't do much with that that it was just a shot here or there to basically say oh hey now they're there Kristen Schindler with biggest problem with this film not her herself her inclusion it feels like like you said a honeypot she is there to propel one certain storyline that is going to be related to the coach but she is not there with any agency whatsoever. Like she doesn't have a part in this story. She is just an, a, a, by a, a means to propel his issue, right? Which could have been done without her ever being in this movie. They could have talked about him having a wife off screen and it would have worked just as fine. You could have taken her and a connecting character that is related to her and also related to Lamarcus James, uh, one of his professors, could have taken them out, a little subplot there, and shaved maybe five, ten minutes off the movie, and you never would have had an issue with it at all. So I agree. I think she was, for me, she was the weakest link in the movie. You know, uh, you know some of it is is definitely stagey, like a stage play. I, I felt like it was on purpose, and so... I think what we're seeing is a very good example of what people are going to react to when they get to this film. Some people are going to not always dig that. 
and some maybe like me are. I would compare this to something very similar to like a high flying bird from Soderbergh. That was the immediate connecting point that came to my mind when I was watching it. Um, obviously that's about basketball. It's a little different, but very similar in tone. So yeah, I don't have a lot uh, else to add for dislikes personally. This will be in theaters on December 10th. I'm a wholehearted go see it, especially if you're a sports fan, if you're a Soderbergh fan, if you like stage play adaptations, you know, if you like to get pumped up by movies about athletics, I'm all for this movie. What's your thoughts? I'm on the fence. Uh, I'm more onto the side of not feeling it. Also, I could see this really connecting with a lot of people, especially a lot of people who have not been on the, um, present side of the news as far as NCAA and student athletes and the and you know the goal of trying to get these student athletes paid so I would say I'm feeling it for people to watch this at home I wouldn't say go to a theater and watch it but if you're looking for a sports film to watch at home then I mean why not (laughs) there you go there you have it so Finally, some divisiveness on this podcast. Doesn't always happen, folks, but sometimes it does. All right. Well, next up, we are going to talk about West Side Story. Coles didn't make it out to this. Um, I will be somewhat brief because this is the movie that's going to be the feature podcast episode for Patrick and I coming up this weekend. It's favorite of Patrick's. We've covered the original. I should have written down what episode that was. You go back and listen to that. The remake stars Ansel Elgort, Rachel Rachel Zegler in her feature film debut, Ariana DeBose, David Alvarez, Mike Faist, Rita Marino, and a slew of others. It's directed by Steven Spielberg, and it is written by Tony Kushner and based on the 1957 stage musical of the same name, uh, with a book by Arthur Lawrence, music by Leonard Bernstein, lyrics by the late Stephen Sondheim, and choreography by Jerome Robbins. What's it about? It's Romeo and Juliet. Okay, no, really. Uh, teenagers Tony and Maria, despite having affiliations with rival street gangs, the Jets and the Sharks, fall in love in 1950s New York City. Context for this one, right up the top. Not a huge fan of the original film. I find it to be okay. Not my favorite musical by any stretch of the imagination. I know it is beloved by a whole lot of folks that love musicals, but it never hit me in that way. Also not a super fan of the Romeo and Juliet story, and so inherently there is a part of this movie that doesn't work for me. What I do like about this movie, though, is the spectacle. Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner and their entire team, when it comes to production design, when it comes to cinematography, when it comes to choreography, they understood the assignment, to use the slang of the kids today or whatever. They updated this story and made a cinematic musical, the likes of which we do not very often get to see. It feels like an old, bombastic musical that really moves and sings along the way and flows in this incredibly immersive environment all the way throughout it from start to finish, just like you would have seen back in the mid-1900s when these were in their heyday, but yet it's 4K, right? And it's using camera work that you didn't have available to you at the time. This is a treat. It is a beautiful, beautiful movie to look at. It sounds incredible. It just, the it's stunning. It's captivating. It's mesmerizing. All the adjectives get thrown at this when it comes to how your experience is It sucks you in, gets you right in there. I love that. Rachel Zegler, that first-time actress who is portraying Maria, the star leading role that used to be played by Natalie Woods, uh, who was famously miscast because she was not Latin. Rachel Zegler is, and she owns this film like you will not believe. I'm not going to be surprised if she's in the Best Actress Top 5 come Oscar time. This movie's going to be nominated. I should tell you, like, you're going to... This very well may be the most nominated movie. The fact that this remake of a Best Picture winner 
could potentially win Best Picture is incredible and should not be understated. Like, it will have that kind of power for a ton of people and a ton of voters. But her performance, I think she's going to be recognized up there at the top, man. She's amazing. She sings. Her voice is just unreal. Um, I am, there's songs that I like. There's songs that I don't care for that much. So it's not my favorite overall musical when it comes to the music. But the ones that she's a part of, she kills it. And she just is the kind of magnetic personality that draws you in and you just you're you're right in there with her the whole movie ariana debose plays anita who used to be played by rita marino in the original version rita marino who won an oscar for that performance this is also a potential oscar worthy performance arena debose she's amazing incredible the emotion that she has to convey in her performance she she kills it both in acting and in singing, both her and Zegler do, but both of these performances are just, to me, the biggest highlights of this movie. Those two actresses are unreal. Rita Marino, speaking of herself, she plays a character that was not in the original. It's kind of been flipped around. It's a cool update the way that they do it. She gets a moment to sing a song and she does an incredible job as well. And the way that they integrate her into the story, it's really neat because she's the only one from the cast, I think, that they brought back from the original film. She also was famously the only Latinx or Latina in the original film, despite it being all about Latin people. And she had to even darken her skin, even though she was Latin, in order to portray Latin the way that they thought that they should. That movie had so many problems, the original. This fixes all of those, thankfully, when it comes to representation. And I, and I appreciate that so much. And I'm sure many will appreciate it even more than I do. But she is a great performance in her part. And she has some really, really important scenes that she needs to, to bring it in. And, and the way that that's updated is excellent in this movie. The Jets have a number in the movie where they sing a song that is called Officer Krupke. And it is a hilarious hilarious song it's all uh, it's goofy and funny it's probably at least a top favorite number for any of the gangs in the movie in my opinion absolutely wonderful the choreography is great all the guys are knocking it out of the park just the way that they use their facial expressions to convey jokes is outstanding there's a lot a lot a lot a lot to love about this movie it is updated for modern audiences, the way in which it conveys the main topic, which is we have these two gangs, everybody's competing for turf. The movie makes it very clear, like land is what matters to these people. This is this is back to the oldest, you know, thing in history is owning land is what allows you to feel like you have a place. And both of these groups feel like they have claim to this land. And don't know where they're going to go if they don't have this land. And they just will not see eye to eye and understand that they're going to have to learn to live together, right? So you get the racism and you get the you know uh, standoffishness and you get, you get fighting. And you get, you know, the fighting escalating to dangerous levels. There's also a running thing in this movie of paying attention to the fact that people are constantly telling the latin guys that they need to speak english you need to speak english you need to speak english and i'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute but it's a good plot point is my is where i'm getting with this i think that it is necessary to call out how so many people like try to tell people who are hispanic in this country like no you can't speak spanish around me you have to speak english and you know it shows hispanic folks in their own or latina in their own homes talking to each other about how frustrating it is because they can't speak their own language they have to get used to speaking english so that they can fit in so it deals with these things in a, in a very very good way i think and it's really just a spectacular remake in a lot of ways what i don't like about it is 
less than when I first saw it. So it's grown on me in hindsight. I'll say that. I'm excited to go see it a second time. I got some Dolby tickets to see it this weekend. The story in general of Romeo and Juliet, it doesn't work for me, Coles. I just don't buy it. When you have people that, you know, this is, I, I can't really spoil this very much. So, because it's been out there for decades. But when you have character who falls in love with somebody at a dance because they met one time and within literally 24 hours, I think it is, they are forgiving each other of incredible sins. They are, you know, having not only emotional but physical relationship and they're willing to alter their entire lives for each other. I'm sorry, but like you need to sell me more on I, I just I think it's not a good thing for the public to be so enamored with this idea of instant romance and love that's not how it works it doesn't work that way and so it it falls short to me and it feels false and it's hard for me to get behind that kind of act like I can't find it I, I find it tragic if people are willing to lose their life or give things up for someone they love and then it doesn't work out but I don't feel it tragic because they lost love. I feel tragic because they should never have even been doing that in the first place. Like they're ridiculous. So I have a hard time with that storyline in general. I always have. That part of this movie doesn't work for me very well. And it's not because of Spielberg's version. It's just a natural part of the West Side Story tale that I'm not going to ever like in any version of it. The Jets and Sharks kind of get Sent to the background here, big time. So the primary actors are all extremely good. Uh, David Alvarez, I think, was another one I, I should have mentioned. Um, Anita's um, Bernardo, uh, her boyfriend, husband, can't recall, but he, he's outstanding as well. But outside of like the main foursome of actors or fivesome, I guess there are, the the gangs themselves, to me, don't get a lot of attention and they can feel kind of hokey at times. I don't love the way that they're portrayed. There's a character named Riff who some people are going gaga over. He's played by Mike Faced. I didn't like the performance at all. That's one of the things that I'm hoping on a rewatch. Maybe it'll change, but he just didn't do it for me. And Ansel Elgort, who I love anyway, he, he does an okay job. Like he sings all right. But he doesn't add anything to this character. He feels weird. He feels weird to me. He feels straight. Maybe it's because he's so white, but like he just, he's tall, which they make a joke about kind of a, they make a point to note how tall he is compared to her. He does fine. I just don't think he stands out in a way that the leading role in the movie should. She outshines him so brightly and that's a slight problem i personally am not going to get into the whole issue of whether or not he should be in the movie because that's neither here nor there he already is and if you are a person that's frustrated because of the sexual assault allegations that were made against him which he has denied and there's never been anything else to it um, then that's a personal decision you're going to have to make i understand that could be a hiccup for some people they don't like to watch him because of that. Wasn't a problem for me. Just didn't love the performance. Didn't hate it. It's kind of, it was okay. The other thing is the subtitles. This has come out recently in the media. Steven Spielberg has addressed it during press tours. So this film is 25, 35, maybe even percent Spanish. Sometimes it's in conversation. And it's very realistic, obviously, where folks are speaking Spanish and then there'll be like sentences in Spanish and they will immediately transition into English. And you can very much understand kind of what's being said, what the vibe is, what the point is. My issue is that there are several times in the film where there are entire conversations that take place in Spanish and there are no subtitles in the movie. Spielberg has said that he is doing that out of respect for the language because he doesn't think that in a movie where Latin characters are being told they need to speak English, we should then make it simple for people who are only monolingual and only speak English. 
So essentially what Spielberg is saying is he is saying, listen, 20% of the people in this country speak Spanish and it's your problem if you don't. And if you don't, too bad, you don't get to have this experience. Now, I am an outlier. We've, I've had conversations online about this. I'll be right up front and tell you, like, I am not in the majority here. So take this with a grain of salt. It may not bother you at all. Personally, it bugged me a little bit. It didn't ruin the movie by any means. I still love the movie, but it does hinder my experience because I don't know what's being said. I'm missing out on jokes. I'm missing out on dialogue. And I feel like I don't, I don't feel like there's a reason I shouldn't have that character development just because I don't speak a language that 20% of the people speak. So it is what it is. It's not going to change. Hopefully I'll get to see what that dialogue was when the ultimately 4K edition comes out and I can watch it at home with subtitles and maybe I'll be proven completely wrong and it'll be superfluous and not have any, you know, whatchamacallit, uh, effect on the story at all. I don't know, but I can't tell you right now. I can tell you it was a jolt to my system and it bugged me the first time I watched it. So where do I land? Must see movie. I mean, this comes out in theaters December 10th. This is one of your event movies of the winter. You have to go see this if you're even remotely a musical fan. It's incredible. It's going to be a best picture contender. It's going to be a best picture front runner. Spielberg is going to be a best. All of the awards are going to be piling onto this. You're going to see that immediately. So get your tickets for IMAX Dolby. Go see it in a big, beautiful, amazing theater and sit back and enjoy and be happy and proud that he really did update this story and remake this in such a respectful manner it is a great movie and despite any nitpicks and qualms i have with it it's gonna end up i think being one of my favorites of the year as well last but not least an at-home release to briefly go over this won't take too long this movie's called the monkey king reborn it's directed by wang yun fei and written by wang yun fei and Zhao yu wu What's it about? After a short-tempered trickster, Monkey King is insulted while visiting a temple with his master, Tang Monk. He destroys a magical tree and accidentally releases the ancient king of demons who kidnaps Tang Monk as revenge for his long imprisonment. Now Monkey King and his fellow disciples must rescue their master within three days before the demon king regains his full power and unleashes his armies to destroy the earth. But I don't have much familiarity with Chinese folklore and... I can't tell you that I got the full experience because of that. Narratively speaking, this movie, it lays into this mythology that they have built. And I think that there are so many characters that I got lost a little bit. But from what I could understand, the things I liked about this are the animation, first and foremost. I've been watching a line of these Chinese animated films for several years now that have been coming out. And I never fully feel like I understand them, but they always look stunning. It feels like each time I see one, it has upped the game. And this animation is worth watching. It is gorgeous. It's action-packed. And the there's so many characters that are, they're demons. And there are these they almost look like superheroes the way that they have these various abilities that they get to use magically speaking and the way it's conveyed to you in a visual sense looks amazing it's flashy um, it's it's striking it's frenetic the pace is really quick it's got a high energy it goes about 90 minutes and it's just wham goes right through it's got a slight emotional moment towards the end but otherwise it's pretty much just powering through it's got a lot of humor. The Monkey King, being a trickster himself, is responsible for many of the jokes. And he's got a couple of little henchmen guys with him, you know, that are your typical Disney-like sidekicks in that sense that are always quipping and doing silly things. So, I mean, I like this movie. I thought that it's really hard for me to talk about its plot because I don't fully get everything that's happening other than what I read in the synopsis, is it's pretty simple. He is a goofster. He does something he's not supposed to do and accidentally unleashes an evil. And then there's a big fight while they try to get the evil back in the bottle for three days before three days are up, right? It's like 
he released the bad genie. Now you got to go kill the bad genie or fight it and get it back in the thing. And in the process, the Monkey King is going to go through some character change and he's going to learn some lessons about why you can't always be a trickster and you got to rely on people and, you know, things like that. He's going to experience loss and heartbreak and all of those things. So it's your typical kind of animated story, but it is really worth watching. And I think that anyone who loves animation will enjoy this so much because it sounds and looks so great and it's worth it to expand your palette and get outside of just the western hollywood animated style because we aren't doing anything quite like this i'll tell you the one thing that really came to mind when i was watching it was dc animated films could use the visual style and quality that these films have. Like if this was a movie that looked and sounded and was paced exactly like this film, but you took the actual story and you transplanted DC superheroes into it, I would connect to it a lot better because I have familiarity with that and it would be stunning. So it showed me that some of our companies that have been churning out weak sauce over the years just completely like on lazy mode they really need to up their game because these chinese animators are kicking their butts and showing them what really can be done at a higher quality it's available on video on demand and blu-ray now and it's a great movie it's worth worth watching for sure well that's it for us this time on ff plus as always we hope that you found a movie that piques your interest and we would love to hear from you you can find us on twitter at feeling film or at black nerd magic you can always join the Feel and Film Facebook discussion group as well. There are links to that in the show notes. We will be back soon. Until then, keep watching movies and keep feeling film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.